I mentioned our podcast uh, in like a work presentation this week. Oh, I gave it a name check, like an explicit name check. There's a non-zero chance that people from my work are going to be listening, Harry. Why? Well, I mean, we were doing getting to know you videos. So I, I put it together. And like a big part of my life is doing gaming stuff, like uh, competing in contests and then podcasting about it. And so I mentioned some of the podcasts I was doing. So I name checked like Removed from Play. Uh, I name checked uh, Thrall Life. And I name checked, well, Bad Things Happened. And then I name checked us, Brokazatsu. Pretty sure none of the others are like still online. So if they Googled any of them, this is the one that would come up. Then again, like who who the hell knows if, well, wait, no. Are, are our pictures still like the logo? Yeah. That if they find it, they're going to find it and know that it's that. Let's see. Let me think of the stuff I've had to edit out uh, because of talks. I mean, I think you're probably fired, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Welcome to Brokazatsu, Two Brothers, exploration of Tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. I would like to apologize to our Toku sister, Ellen, for kind of blowing up her spot during a online Easter call meetup thing. <laughs> I- I've been playing Stardew Valley with her a little bit, and I was... I guess it just goes to show the types of people you are, because her farm was heavily suboptimal, and that infuriated <laughs> me on a deep level. And maybe I, I vented it in in public. Oh, no, Harry, Harry, that was a noteworthy call-out. Like, if you're gonna Stardew Valley, you better Stardew Valley fucking correct. Like, you you need your vegetables in a grid. Like, you need a pattern so that you can put down sprinklers so that you don't have to water in the morning so you actually have time to go and interact with the town and mine in the mines. Like, if you're not doing that, then why the fuck are you even playing? Like, you need, you need a set grid. You need a pattern. It's just lots of big fences. She's only using the lowest level of sprinklers, even though she's gotten deep in the mines. It's like the whole point of going deep in the mines early is that you could get the quality sprinklers. But no, she's just yeah, she's barely doing any crops. Wait, wait, she only has the four square sprinkler. Yeah. She doesn't even have the eight. Yeah. Oh, my God, Harry. Did you burn her barn to the ground? Because it would have been deserved. Next time I will. OK. And you know what? When when it's burning and she's just looking at the flames. You should tell her that if she had better sprinklers, she could put it out. Speaking of, uh, blown... Is there a way I could tie this in? Oh, I'm getting very ambitious with these. Kamen Rider Zero One was pretty good this time. I enjoyed the episode. I enjoy the direction that they're taking it. I have some... I'm not sure concerns is the right word, but, uh, I think the writer, like, the writers are appreciating being out of the story arc as far as the contest goes, but I do think they're a little annoyed that they're having to operate within this within the constraints of a tokusatsu show. Well, like I said, there there's lots of heavy themes and stuff in the show that they're touching on, but because of the genre it's in, it's not going too deep on any of them. It it is a thing of because when the show was starting, I listed off a lot of the stuff they were talking about and like hoping that they might be able to touch on it, and maybe that maybe we were the fools because like it. Like, now that I've mentally adjusted to, it's a tokusatsu show, like, it'll touch on these things, and then there'll be fights and stuff, it's it's fine, it's just, it's not going, it's not going into the full implications yet. Well, see, but Harry, like, the, 
and then there's fights aspect of it. I think the writers are just kind of begrudgingly put in fights. Like this week, <laughs> I think they didn't want to put in any fights this week. And the bosses just kind of came in after they got the first draft of the script that they were like, guys, there aren't fights this week. You need to put in fights. Where's the fights? This is a toku show. And the writers are just looking at them. But but themes, we we need to explore character. We need to explore new reality. And the bosses are just staring at them. Fights. You need fights. Spe- speaking of trouble writing, at the start of the episode, Aruto is having some trouble writing a, like, uh, company motto for his new corporate for his new corporation a corporate philosophy specifically which is funny that you know that in japanese culture corporate philosophies are something that people actually listen to and care about as opposed to american corporate philosophies which are all just cut and paste maximize shareholder profits at all costs and damn the world yeah or deliciously ironic in the case of google's don't be evil and you know they're now they're google yeah yeah uh, he's explored corporate themes, and then they are their first client, their first new customer comes in, and it's the manga artist. He wants Aruto to help him reboot his assistant, G-Pen, who, if you remember from the initial episode, was basically turned into a robot right away. We didn't actually see G-Pen at all, so now we're actually getting him in the show. We got a little bit at the end of the episode, like after the... The artist had his emotional uh, breakthrough where he real he regained his passion for drawing manga and he realized that the uh, human gears there were to help him fulfill that passion and fulfill that dream. And apparently since that time, he's been living up to his promise and G-Pen, the human gear that he's been working with, has been doing so well that the loss of uh, that the loss of the human gear after Hyden Intelligence turned everything off was a serious blow to him. And so he's just desperate to get him back up and running. So Arthur says, I'll do what I can, but in the end, it's up to G-Pen himself, which, as it goes to the credits, introduces the very good step Arto's taking. And this is clearly going to be the arc of the show for the next little bit. Like, Arto is going to be going out into the world with his new corporation to free human gears and give them the explicit choice and explicit chance to make their own decisions and choose their own place in the world. Arto... He, he lays out G-Pen, he, get, he gets his body set up, then uses one of the little uh, progress keys to get his memory back. And G-Pen, he, I don't think he's been talking to people too much, because he seems pretty confused. And Arthur says, yeah, so, Satellite Zaya, it's it's down, but I, I brought you back. You're the manga artist, he wants you to return, but what do you want? And G-Pen does not know what he wants. He's just, he's wandering around the office. Like he says he needs to get back to his work. And he's just trying and trying and trying to reconnect to Satellite Zaya. Like Like he's, he's a lost, he's a lost bot. Like he is not sentient. Like explicitly, uh, Izu says, you know, he has not gained his sentience yet. Back at the, at Hidden Intelligence, Guy is sitting in the, like, mechanics office while Yua is failing to connect to Satellite Zaya, which is just refusing to work with them. Yeah, uh, ever since uh, Aruto set up his own Haiden corporation like Satellite Zaya and all the Hubi Gear stuff, it seems to be being directed towards him and not towards uh, and not towards this guy. And so Jack, he says, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to crush Aruto and his stupid little company. And he crushes a binder thing. Not, you're not at all... Uh, suppressing some emotions, Jack. 
Yes, it's a nice like uh, a nice eight and a half by eleven promotional flyer of like, hey, bring in your human gears, we'll get them rebooted. Very happy and colorful. Yep. So as as G Pen continues staring into the sun, Yuma explains. So satellites, uh, it was using it was doing distributed computing for human gears. They they had their quick learning capabilities because a lot of the heavy work was being offloaded. So. Without the databases and stuff like that, I'm not sure if they have the capability to grow. Uh, Harry, is this where you jump in for like five minutes talking about like remote processing? My master's thesis was on remote processing for works like this. It's actually a bad idea in a lot of cases, but in other cases it's good. Um, it's it's weird. Like it's, I could totally see it for something like this that like rapidly training up a neural net, but then other tasks. See, it, it's always a big problem when you have something based so heavily off of, like, something set up elsewhere, because if that fails, then the technology is acting all weird. Like this guy. So this is a very... What you're saying, Harry, is this is an accurate representation of what would happen if we had distributed computing with self-driving cars. Yeah, like, like self-driving cars really shouldn't rely on distributed computing, because, A, connections is spotty in the U.S., like, that'll fail all the time. Uh, But yeah, so, Aruto and Izu... (laughs) Sorry, abandoning that thread. Unless, did you have more, Harry? Well, it's just, it's both something I that is way too big of a topic to talk about, and also something that I know enough about to know, like, I'm not an expert. Uh, but yeah, Urto and Izu, they're talking uh, with the artist, trying to get him to, you know, make a choice, but it's not that the artist is refusing to make a choice, it's that he literally can't. He doesn't have the capacity to make a decision right now. And Jin has been watching this going on uh, from behind the scenes, and he kind of swoops in, like, in a very literal sense, going bird-like, and kind of takes him away uh, from the hided office. You say assistant, but that's just another word for tool, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna let him be slaved to human's dream. Arto has to go to the mega artist and kind of apologize. Hey, so we kind of got your human gear stolen by someone from Metsubo Jinrai. Oopsie. Yeah, the, the same... Uh, insane terrorists that turned him evil before, although they're not... This one is, like, less of an evil terrorist, and we're kind of buds. Like, we hang out, and we we exchange fashion tips and stuff, but, like, we're not friends or anything yet. It's... We're in a weird... It, it's complicated, is the status of our relationship. <laughs> Speaking of it's complicated, so Jin takes the artist to some kind of abandoned tunnel, just any number of abandoned tunnels in uh, Tokyo, and is screaming at him to gain sentience. Because it turns out that Jin also has no idea how the fuck to make human gears gain sentience. Yeah, like, live your own life. That's how you reach singularity. Like, we we can't... You have to think about yourself. Forget about Zaya. Everything like that. Do your own thing. And G-Pen is just staring at the sky saying, still can't connect to the satellite. Alright, did you ever hear that, like, uh... Uh, that this American life about uh, the society or, like, the people who grew up in the U.S. with no language... And, like, they could understand each other, like, they could work together, but when one person uh, was working with, like, anthropologists and finally got to understand language, he uh, instantly lost his ability to communicate with the rest of his group. Oh, no. How did that happen? Jeez. Like, they just grew up in an isolated spot, like, you know, they raised themselves and there was no language involved. And then he finally learned how to speak and lost the ability to speak with the rest of the people in his community. Huh. And that's kind of what this feels like, you know? Jin has achieved another level, and so has lost touch with what it is to be a human gear pre-sentience. And Hirobi kind of walks up behind him and says, Yeah, this is what lies beyond freedom. 
as long as humans rule this world, Cube Gears will be powerless and they can't live it alone. They need they need their own network to support them. And that's what Metsubojinrai.net could be. So we jump to G-Pen. He's wandering around uh, in a town square and people are saying like, hey, is that a Gear?" And they're running away from them. Like, Harry, I'm a little confused about this. Is it now illegal for Gears to be around? Like, I'm not sure about the legality of this whole situation. I don't think there's any specific laws or anything because they're right now they're the property of Aruto. Uh, but but Jack, remember, has been filling the airwaves with propaganda saying they're insane murder machines who constantly attack humans, which is true. Just leaving out the part where it's all Jack's fault. It's like if self-driving cars were taken off the market because they started hitting people and then you just saw a car driving itself down the street. You, you would call someone and Jack gets the call. And sends Yua to go kill it. Uh, Yua and the two grunts who are going to be like, they actually get lines this week, Harry. Did you notice that? Uh, and by the way, I looked it up. The monster they're based off of is the horseshoe crab. Oh, great. Uh, again, a blocky crustacean. Uh, crustacean. I almost said castration there. Similar to the trilobites from the, like, kind of mook magiers. Uh, but yeah, so Yua and then Aruto, uh, they are running towards the square and they meet up with the G-Pen artist spot at roughly the same time. And he has stopped in the middle of the square to stare up at a giant billboard announcing a manga drawing contest. Yua was getting ready to take the shot. Like, they're not transformed yet. They're kind of waiting. And Yua, seeing that it's not at all hostile, is hesitating. Uh, which, considering, you know, we're dealing with, like, fully automatic weapons in the middle of a crowded square, they probably should hesitate. <laughs> Also, again, back to the legality, like, I'm not sure if it's illegal for human gears to be around in the city. It's probably not illegal for, like, these private people to just be running around squares, opening fire in the middle of crowds. Well, Aruto takes his chance to yell to G-Pen, hey, it was different than we thought. Uh, the mega artist, he doesn't want you to be his assistant. He actually was so impressed by your work that he's considering having you start your own series, and he'll just mentor you through it. He wants him to be an independent artist. And Aruto, like, this is a nice, like, you know, minute, minute and a half speech from Aruto just about Gear rights and, like, how important it is to be your own person and gain sentience. Uh, Jin is listening to this as well. And uh, behind the scenes, he screams that it is okay for Gears to dream. The crab soldiers, they're shouting at Yua for permission to fire. But she is real shaken by Aruto and says, no, stand down. Uh, she holds fire and she lets him walk away. Uh, and Yua and the two thugs, they go back to uh, the Hyden Intelligence Base, where Jack just kind of twists that knife right into her. Like, he says it was wrong for her to hold fire, and she needs to remember that she is just his tool. Yeah, he smacks the chessboard that he's always been playing with off his table, and, like, shouts at her, If I tell you to destroy, then you destroy. Like, we're, we are going to march out of here and go destroy that human gear. So we're at the 50% mark, and there's been no fights. Like I said, this is this is a talky episode this week. We're about to get to a fight, but it's a very perfunctory one. There there was a brief one. One Jin grabbed uh, G-Pen. I wouldn't consider that a fight. It was two people in suits standing around, and then he just grabbed a person and flew away. They they exchanged a couple blows. Uh, and, and also, it's a thing where Arto, he again transformed into his lowest base state. And I... Here's another thing that I'm kind of sad that they're not doing, because in these shows, there's lots of reasons for people to use different states at different times. But if they had a thing where, like, so Arto, he's been getting lots of upgrades and getting more powerful. 
But he also is no longer the head of Heedon Intelligence. So if they had a thing where it's harder for him to use his like higher level upgrades and stuff because of all the stuff being shut down, then that would be a really good excuse for him to be kind of depowered and on the back foot for a lot of this. Okay. Just, just a thought. I don't know. Did, like, rewrite, fan rewrites. Yeah, yeah, it's some editor's notes. But, I mean, they gotta keep those toys pumping. He could still break it out when it's important, but it's just like, oh no, I lose the first fight because I had to use the base form. But someone who doesn't have to use his base form is Fua. So I guess these days, uh, parking garages are pretty empty, so we may be seeing lots of fights in here. <laughs> uh, this is, how many, Harry, how many fights have Fua and Yua had in this exact spot of this exact parking lot? I almost feel like there should be a chair off to the side where Fu is just sitting most of the time. Like, hey, I'm going to fight you when you come through. Like he puts a coin on the machine like, hey, I call next fight. Uh, yep. Uh, so, uh, so they have a perfunctory fight uh, because, you know, well, Jack uh, was telling you uh, the thugs to follow him. They're going to go mess up hiding manufacturing. Uh, but when he sees Fu, he says, I don't have the time for this. You, uh, you deal with him. Take back the technology that he has appropriated from us, i.e., that you continually, that you literally gave to him when you he, he was mind controlled. Like, uh, so Jack, I, I gotta say, are you still feeling good about giving Arto the like heated metal key and like giving Fua the Gatling, the Gatling Wolf? Because your biggest opponents, you've given them all their best upgrades at this point. Yeah, all all according to plan, Harry. A thousand percent according to plan. So Fua. He, he hates to see someone, like, just being controlled by this. So, they, they fight. Yeah, we cut back and forth a little bit. We'll just describe the fight now. Like, it's it's short, and uh, Fua, you know, wins, uh, takes out Yua pretty handily. Uh, but during the fight, Yua does manage to uh, take the key off of Fua's belt. And, Harry, was this the was this the high-level transformation that Fua was using? No, this is the Assault Wolf key. Yua is dashing around. She's landing some hits, but Fua is using all of the powers to kind of fight her off. He even uses the like Hornet key, which was like her first upgrade. So she, she kind of realizes she can't win, but then she spots on his belt, the assault wolf key, and she takes it. And when Fua walks away, she still has it. And she says like, you know, Fua's talking about, you know, you still got to find something to believe in for yourself. And Yua says it, this world isn't kind enough for people to be able to live on their own. And I'm not sure what she's going to do with it. Like, maybe she's just going to turn it over to Jack, but maybe she's going to... I mean, maybe she's looking for a way to break her own programming, like Fua has. Yeah, wasn't this the key that Fua used that kind of fucked with the chip in his head? Yeah. Is she going to use it herself in some kind of bid to regain control, but then probably, like, lose control? And, you know, have, like, a an arc where she's the main villain of the series? Maybe. Uh, we'll see. That'd be nice, you know? I still like Yua. I still think she is a good character. I definitely want to see her do well and be redeemed by the end. This show hasn't been too kind to her, but at least that's her arc in that she's been manipulated and hasn't had a chance to shine. Like, at least it's textual and not just the fact of the universe and so many other writer series when where women don't matter. So uh, back at the Haydn, uh Corporation, like Jack and the two thugs show up at, Arut at Aruto's new base and they're there, they transform. I'm not really sure what his plan is. Like, is he just there to like kill aruto well he's just gonna walk in and smash the human gear he he briefly says hey i will pay you very handsomely for all the data if you just hand it over and harter says fuck no 
Human Gears are going to decide themselves how they live from now on. Human Gears, I will watch over their dreams. Jack says Human Gears don't need dreams. Did we mention that, uh, what is the corporate, like, slogan or the corporate philosophy of his new company? Uh, jump towards a dream. Yep. Same as the Human Gears say when they wake up. Uh, so there's a fight, and Aruto is losing. Like, I mean, it's, there's the two thugs, and then there's Jack, and so, yeah, Aruto is slowly, uh, getting his ass kicked. Uh, but then Jin shows up and protects him. I've learned something thanks to you, Zero One, about how Human Gears can achieve singularity. And I think I'm going to stake a bet for the future of my friends on your dream. So uh, as soon as Jin gets involved, like the fight goes very quickly in their favor. Like they're doing double finishers on Jack. Like the two thugs go down like nigh instantly. Yeah, like J- Jack, he very cr- clearly, because he was having trouble dealing with uh, Metal Cluster Hopper, he just gave a couple basic goons very high performance spelts and so that he could swarm him and just, you know, divide his attack attention which is a good strategy so long as he's going against a single person so he gets defeated he he has another one of his damaged costumes i, I should start comparing them to see if it is just one it's the exact same jacket coat. like it's got to be the exact same jacket harry but what about the the tear patterns maybe they're i, no, I the still like patterns, to think they're different tear patterns are the same every single time jack swears he's gonna crush your company to the ground and like what is what his goons try to help, help him up he full-on shit fit like swipes at them saying don't touch me so he's having a bad time and it would seem that aruto and Jin are now more or less officially allies even if they're not you know completely on the same page uh but, but Jin has realized hey you know he's making some good progress i should see where this goes and in other terms of progress uh when he goes back into the office they've repaired kind of the blank human gears yeah so the blank human gear and this is very clever this is a very clever development because what they do with it uh, they have the blank human gear, and they can take any of the data cards and bring out any human gear that they want. So the first one that they bring out is, you know, Shesta, uh, the other assistant to the vice president, which uh, I'm sure she was, you know, destroyed and turned off uh, previously. Uh, but then after that, like, she picks up a key card and she brings out the festival guy to throw a little bit of a party. I I love the character moment here because Aruto says, oh, you know, for this company, I gotta bring back Shesta, she's great. But when Shesta is alive, she looks at him for a second and says, I'm not your assistant, whatever. Grabs another key and says, I'm gonna just delete myself, whatever. And <laughs> rewrites herself with the the uh, little assassin bot, who was actually a festival bot. And so he's there, he puts a jacket on Aruto, which raises a lot of questions about, like, physical properties and physical objects uh, and these human gears, but we're not gonna get into that. Oh yeah, that's a full-on Haldek problem. Oh. It really is. I was just going to tell you about, like, the pun they're doing on happy, because that's, like, the the type of Japanese coat that they're wearing. But, yeah, now I'm wondering about that. Uh, So it's a comedy beat uh, to end the episode, and everyone seems pretty happy. And I love it. So they have a blank human gear, so that gives them license to bring back any of the other human gears from any of the previous episodes. But, uh, at least in the short term, looking at the preview for next episode, they're actually bringing around another one that we haven't seen before. Yeah, and we'll see how that goes soon. Another thing for next episode that I'll establish here, uh, it looks like Naki may actually be more in the story uh, because of some of the shots. Uh, before, I said there was stuff where Naki's actor was, like, their gender was kind of, I, I could, there was weird translation stuff happening. I said, like, they may be non-binary or whatever. Uh, apparently, the I got some clarification, and uh, the actor uses female pronouns, but 
also says that they like kind of identify as genderless and like the I think the Naki because is going off the same thing. So female pronouns are okay in this case, and it's more just the thing of gender is boring and made up, and that's the thing they're taking in. Yeah, sure, fair enough. Yeah, but also, uh, so another thing that we may be seeing of Naki is that there was a Blu-ray special released, uh, Project Thouser, which is kind of some backstory into Thouser and also Naki. We may be able to get subs of that in time for next episode. We may not. Like, uh, we'll see. I'm looking for them. Oh, hey. I mean, is it time for, like, a monthly break or whatever the fuck it is? I was kind of planning to do that after the next episode. So we will see. We'll see. Who the hell knows? Like, we don't have a schedule, people. Like, if you've been listening to the show, you know the one thing we don't have? It's a consistent schedule. Uh, but, you know, for now, we're continuing, as usual, into a couple episodes of Power Rangers RPM. So, as we begin this episode, we start with a fight against the three military members of the town. They're getting their asses kicked, and the Monster of the Week is there. By the way, the Monster of the Week uh, this time is a boombox monster. And there's actually, there's a lot of colors in there. Like, I really like this design. So, its head is like, you know, a jukebox. It has the two speakers on the side. There's mini speakers all over the torso. And there's just a lot of bright colors. Like, there's golds, reds everywhere. This is a very dynamic, interesting-looking monster. (laughs) And there's a fun moment where a soldier was getting on the radio to call stuff in, but then Tanaya grabs and pulls away, mimics his voice on the radio to saying, it, it's all clear, you know, it's fine. Yes, Terminator style. Uh, then the camera cuts away before she breaks all their necks. Uh, there's a reason why there's not, not a lot of soldiers in the city left. Yeah, that, that totally happens, right? Because people don't know that she's in the city, and there were three soldiers here, so she 100% ganked all three of them. <laughs> we need more criminals to be militia. <laughs> Uh, we cut from that uh, to a nice, fun Q&A session uh, with Dr. Light and the Power Rangers to a group of school children, uh, probably the only surviving school children in the world. As it starts, Dr. K is given kind of a big technical explanation of how the power systems of her suits work, and no one gets it. So they just move on to asking the Rangers about how cool their hair is and stuff like that. Yes, there are some gender and racial politics uh, in here that we probably shouldn't talk about. I mean, they do They do ask, I, I'm not sure, may, maybe I'm reading into this because it's a bit dark, but uh, they ask the Blue Ranger why he you know, talks different. He says, oh yeah, I'm Scottish, you know, uh, that's why I talk so fun and I'm the, I'm the only one who talks like that. Because Scotland is dead. <laughs> yeah, like, this is a universe where he could be the only Scottish person left. Yeah, he he has to be the only Scottish person left. Like, I mean, where we don't know where this island is, but it is not near Scotland. Like, is it New Zealand? Because if it's New Zealand, that is literally the other side of the globe. Is it literally? You know what? I'm not going to get into it. That's close enough. They ask about the spandex. Dr. K still hates that. And then they, they ask the Yellow Ranger if she'll if she'll marry one of the kids. And she says, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, then there is a flashback. Someone asks if Yellow Ranger was always this nice. And so she just kind of zodes out, looks into the sky, and we get the first of many flashbacks. It's funny because this is... 
this is an in-universe her kind of phasing out because later an alert happens and they have to kind of break her out. Like, she she full-on goes into a hallucination for, like, minutes. And do you think everyone was just standing around staring at her? Uh, I'm assuming the Q&A session continued while she was just standing there staring off into nothing. Yeah, thinking about her her life as a cartoonishly pampered rich girl. Yeah, this is way more over the top than anything I've ever seen. Like... Like this is this is arrested development level of like comically like uh obtuse rich people. I feel like this two parter really didn't need to be a two parter. Like it, it just maybe because I knew the stuff that was happening, but it, it just I I didn't I liked this two parter a little bit less because they they go a long way to show she's super rich and pampered and stuff. She's super rich and pampered. She she is practicing karate, so she's almost like superhero training from an early age. She's going through her Batman rounds, like, practicing motocross, practicing uh, Krav Maga. Yeah, but her parents specifically weren't murdered. They're just emotionally absent. Uh, she is, of course, being raised by her butler. You know, uh, comically put upon, like, British person. Andrews, I think is his, is his name. Uh, his last name. She does not know his first name. She never learns his first name. She realizes that later. It, it's a character moment. Back, back to the present. She has to break free of her reverie because robots are attacking the city. Uh, yes, the Sonic monster is attacking, and so uh, the four other rangers uh, run away. Uh, she's, you know, still in the middle of a coma, so it takes her a minute to show up. Uh, but this monster is actually a threat, and I quite like that. You know, they're firing lasers at him, which he is deflecting with Sonic Blasts, and he's KOing the party like he is doing very, very well until the yellow shows up and just fucking manhandles him. <laughs> Alright, you went past that a little fast, but he is deflecting lasers, like light electromagnetics with sonic blasts just roll with it roll with it harry okay okay i just want to say it doesn't make a lot of sense hey harry light is a particle and a wave so clearly it could be deflected by sound anyway they kill him he gets big and then they get into the robot i mean you're brushing past that pretty fast like she she uses her overcharge like energy blast ability which is probably since this is her focus episode, the only time that will actually be useful. The monster knocks away the, their guns, and so she has to use her Kamehameha. And I guess in theory, it's just a very powerful gun, because it is able to blast through the sonic energy field? Question mark. Lots of sonic attacks in the series, probably because you can hit someone with a sonic attack and it's not gory. Alright, you know what would have been really good to take this guy out? Teleporting behind him and or stopping time for 10 seconds. Yeah. Like, they they forget they have the powers a lot. This is, like, kind of a darker, grittier Power Rangers to a certain extent, but they're still going to forget the powers a lot. Like, there's there's inconsistent uh, strengths all over. But anyway, so the mega fight this week, it I, you know, I, I kind of liked it. Like, it actually had weight. Like, this guy was tough, so he took some blows, they rolled around a bit, like, they used a variety of uh, tactics and methods, and they had to do a couple transformations to finally bring him down. Like, that's opposed to the, you know, five-second mega fights that we've seen in the past ten episodes. And the whole time that they're doing the mega fights, like, the kids are watching in the command center as Dr. K is, like, doing her very fast typing. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, after the monster is destroyed, uh, the uh, kid who proposed marriage to Yellow... Uh, asks if he could be a ranger someday. Dr. Light looks him up and down, gives him an analysis, and says, no. So everything's fine. They head back to the garage, where Summer's terrible parents are. Harry, how the hell do people keep getting into this, like, secret ranger base? 
I, I really don't know. Dr. K should be locking it down a bit more, but maybe she gave them like a bioscan and was like, okay, you're not robots, so it's cool. I think we kind of got to go with just too absent-minded to lock doors, because that's that's really the only explanation at this point. Uh, but yeah, the, the two parents, they're just comically asshole, like, you know, they're calling everyone her servants and demanding that they instantly start, like, cleaning their products. Uh, then Summer shows up and, you know, and it's very awkward because they want Summer to come with her. They have a previous arrangement and they say it's time for her to come back to the family. The Lansdowns, which are, like, ridiculously rich billionaires. Uh, we flash back at this point to Summer's birthday party. She had been arranging uh, it with her butler, and uh, there's many, many friends there. Uh, her parents do not show up, but they did send this uh, dark crystal necklace, which I'm sure will not come back up in the plot later this episode. It, it's the sign of exactly who she is. It represents wealth, luxury, and status. Harry, do you think all these friends, like, died to the Vengex attacks? I mean, most of them did. <laughs> like, like she, there's, like, 20 people at the party, and only one of them shows up in the next episode. So, yeah, I think, like, one out of 20 survived. Uh, yeah. Like, as we move forward with more flashbacks, we see, like, uh, Summer and some of the birthday crew getting on various trucks. And, like, you're right. Like, there's a truck full of people that we never see again. And then we see some Vengex, like, attack ships coming in. <laughs> so we just got to assume... <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, the apocalypse starts right after her party, uh, because she's sat on her bed, and someone walks in and says, hey, on the radio, they're saying that a that an internet virus is attacking humanity, so maybe we, we gotta go. Uh, back to the present, back to the city, uh, the infiltrator bot is doing a bank robbery with her hand, and man, I just love that that's just a character thing that she does. She just takes off her hand, sends it through air ducts, and gets into places she shouldn't. It, it's useful for an infiltration bot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she gets in. She opens the vault. She's talking with Vengex over the radio. She she likes diamonds for some reason. I don't know. Uh, so then, yeah, uh, we get a fight with the infiltrator bot because they realized that hey, uh, this uh, this monster of the week it had to self destruct in it, which means that it was a distraction. Uh, they realize that uh, Tanaya is there. They track her down and they fight, and it's a good fight. There's another brief uh, flashback before she runs off to the fight. It, it's people getting onto the trucks, and uh, there's not enough space for Summer, and she says, oh, yeah, come on, friends, let's wait for the next one, and they're like, no, you'll you'll survive, whatever, and, and kick her off. <laughs> oh, good friends, good friends. It's the apocalypse. Being rich doesn't actually matter. I, I know, I know. I really, I want to get into it more next episode, but we can get into it now. Like, her parents and, like, the family that uh, we're going to be seeing next episode are supposed to be insanely wealthy, but but it's a post-apocalypse. What does wealth matter? Like, we see Summer just, like, waving money in the air, like, trying to get on trucks, but money is worthless. Money is meaningless. None of the trucks are stopping for exactly that reason. And also, in the, I mean, what, like, this is a super thin plot, so we can, we can break down some of the points in it. Uh, her parents turned out that they're not rich anymore because when the apocalypse... When the apocalypse happened, their entire wealth was tied up in investments, like, you know, numbers and some computer. So they have nothing. I But I think maybe the other family had raw materials or something that could be useful for the city. So, sure. I mean, they don't, like, get into that. Like, maybe the other city is, bro maybe the other family is broke, too. Yeah, true. What is wealth, Harry? What is value in, like, a society that is on the edge, that is fighting against robots? Is anyone rich? 
Does any one man have actual property? They're talking about Ziggy, like, you know, losing the $5 million or something, but, like, what are they going to spend the $5 million on? He gave away <laughs> medical supplies. Like, that has to be super priceless these days. Yeah. He gave away priceless materials to children and not to the military. God damn it. Do you know how many military people died because they didn't have medicine? All of them. That's why they need the, that's why they need the criminals now. Uh, before we move on to the next episode, I just want to point out that in the middle of the fight, uh, Tanaya and Yellow, they're doing a duel, and Tanaya takes off her hand. It runs behind Yellow, picks up a gun, and tries to shoot her in the back. Yeah. I love this assassin. She is, like, my favorite character in the series. Yeah, Tanaya's having fun. Uh, she, she thought she had the diamond thing that they need to... They need it to use it to upgrade the main cannon of a giant camera bot. Yeah, the make the camera bot. It's it's gonna be the monster of the week next week, and I'll just describe it now. It's kind of like a walking uh, evil version of Thomas the Train Engine, only brown instead of blue. And on the top of its head, it has like a a kind of laser cannon. Uh, but otherwise, it's fairly nondescript, and it barely gets any screen time. Almost as horrifying a monster as Thomas's. <sighs> yeah, yeah. The thing at the end of the episode is that hey, it turns out that Summer is engaged to the. Uh, son of this other family uh, which was the arrangement with her parents like she could have a year on her own but then she would have to come back and marry this guy yeah marry chaz and everyone has a moment where they make fun of chaz for having that name chaz winchester the fourth and that is as good a rich asshole name as i have ever heard do you think he's descended from the winchester family like do you, do you think he grew up do you think he grew up at like the crazy murder house that is the winchester mystery house maybe that's why these guys are still rich they had weapons yeah, the, the robots tried to attack the Winchester house, and they, they did not survive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so next episode, uh, it begins with, like, the team thrashing a group of putties, uh, talking about Summer's situation and just cracking jokes at her ex expense. And uh, then when Yellow finally shows up, she says she's not going to get married. And we get the flashback of her uh, her butler rescuing her in the middle of the desert with a Priscilla Queen of the Desert fan. When they're having the chat, you can, there's even little character beats between all of them. Like, uh, so, uh, Green, uh, Ziggy, he wants her to be really rich so she can pay off the mob debt. Blue just really likes wedding receptions. He, he wants the party. Uh, Black, Dylan is, he, I mean, they're, they're doing a romance thing between him and Summer, so he's very angry, like, you know, she shouldn't marry this guy. And Red is like, hey, you know, it's her decision, you know, whatever she chooses, it's fine. Well, is it fine? Because no one really breaks... Like, her parents don't want her to be the Yellow Ranger anymore. Dot, dot, dot. But it's biometrically linked to her. I mean, I don't think for a second any of them thought, like, hey, she'll stop being a ranger. Well, I mean, if she wasn't going to stop being a ranger, who the fuck cares? Uh, well, I mean, Black cares because he, uh, you know, is having the romance thing. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the parents, like, they get back to base after uh, beating up the putties. Turns out the parents put out a newspaper ad announcing the engagement between Summer and Chaz. Who, they, we finally see him. He's off in the background looking at his reflection in any reflective surface. Uh, he is blonde. He has lots of muscles. Like, you know. He, does he get a single line? I don't think so. I think he's just looking at himself in mirrors. So let's just assume he's like a local New Zealand uh, surfer that they just grabbed onto the set. The parents, this is where they mentioned that they're super broke and they need Summer to do this for them. Because, like, otherwise they, they'll they have to get jobs or something. <laughs> and they don't seem to understand the concept of jobs. It is a very Lucille Booth, like, how expensive are bananas moment. 
And like they, they ask Summer what changed a year ago. She would have been happy to marry Chaz. And so another flashback to her with Andrews. And like <laughs> Andrews has been like cartoonishly put upon by Summer. Like she when she was practicing her Kung Fu, she was beating him up. When she was driving around on a motorcycle, like he was getting splattered with mud. And at this point, he's like carrying her on his back. But Summer has a moment where she's like, hey, Andrews, you've been with me my whole life. I don't know what your first name is. <laughs> I know that that's supposed to be a character moment, but man, it's a character moment in the wrong direction. They portrayed all the stuff as weird and cartoonish. It's just, I mean, it's a it's a kid's show. Maybe we should be thinking of that in that context, but they've... They've pushed it so far in one direction that the, when they try to have pathos and stuff for Summer, it's a little hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. But she, he's, you know, making some uh, cut watermelon stuff. The truck breaks down, so they have to walk to the city. And they're ambushed by grinders. And she gets to use some of her, you know, some of her kung fu, some of her Krav Maga. And she takes them out uh, fairly effectively. Uh, but Andrews biffs it. He has a whole speech about how he stuck around this whole time to see the kind of person she would become. And now that he's died dramatically, he says, don't worry, I'll still be watching from wherever I am. And then he dies. It's it's an on-screen death. Summer, she just runs into the city and her parents are there waiting. Uh, so it's now time for the awkward wedding because Summer has agreed to go forward with it. Dot, 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 kind of. Uh, and so everyone is uh, acting up like. Uh, Blue is uh, trying to steal some cake, like Green is talking about how much money they're going to get and working with the sound system there. And everyone's just having a grand old time. Also, Tanaya is there as a caterer. Oh, and Blue's wearing a kilt because he's he's keeping up Scottish culture for all of his people because he's the only one left. Yep. Last one left. Yep. I mean, I, I think that might actually be uh, proven wrong in the next episode, but whatever. I, for for this episode, I'm going to keep up that uh, pretense. Uh, I do like that, you know, he is wearing a kilt, but they don't bring it up. Like, it's just something that you notice as you're watching the episode, not something that they feel the need to point out, because they have confidence in their filmmaking. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a little down on these episodes, but that's just in the context of RPM. Yeah, the parents, they're asking some awkward questions, and we get another uh, flashback to the motorcycle rescue from episode one. Like, Summer was safe inside the city, uh, but then she overheard a radio call of Eagle 2 going down, and it seemed like no one was going out to rescue him. And so she stole a motorcycle and a jacket and went out to get him. And so that's where she was in the first episode. Also, I think we can skip past this, but there's a moment where uh, the only one of Summer's friend to, friends to survive is hanging around. <laughs> and she sees Dr. K sitting there. It's like, hey, do I know you? Did we go to Hobson College? Uh, Sam, did you catch Dr. K's line? Uh, she grew up in a secret uh, military uh, think tank called like Code Alphabet. Yeah, Alphabet Soup, which is why she's called Dr. K. Oh, so there was like 25 others? Uh, maybe. Is she, is she the only survivor? We'll get into it in episode 11, which is Wait, her backstory. Is, is Vengex like number V? Like one of her fellow colleagues? We'll get into it next week in episode 11, the episode I'm warning people about. <laughs> Yay, we get Dr. Light's backstory. Uh, back to the wedding. Uh, Summer notices something weird about the cake, and so she has Dr. Light uh, dress up in the wedding gown and go up to the stand instead of her. I'm not even sure. Could Summer have just jumped out herself? Like, there, there's lots of hullabaloo here. I'm not sure what it's for. I mean, it's just for the moment of revealing the, pulling back the veil, and it's not Summer, it's Dr. K. Yeah, she didn't really do anything with this tactical advantage of, you know, 
being behind Tanaya when she sprung the trap. Like, really, she could have just, like, had her transformer on her belt and just done it that way. Yeah, she she could have pulled out a gun and shot Tanaya. Just, you know, hold the bouquet and have a gun in the middle of it. Uh, but, but, uh, so the thing she noticed was that the caterer put the cake next to an oil drum, which is a bit silly. So, yeah. Uh, there's a fight. Even with everything going on, they still get the gem thing so the robot can get big and attack the city. Yeah, this is a mega fight that lasts about 10 seconds. Uh, but back in the uh, garage, Dr. Light takes down Tanaya with a violin strapped into a massive sound system. Do you think the sound system was made from scrapped parts from the sound robot in the previous episode? I'm going to go with yes. Uh, Dr. K seems like the type of person who would uh, take the... Well, we actually explicitly know she takes the parts uh, from the monsters that come into the city. So I'm going to assume that any of the upgrades that we see as this show goes along are ones that she has salvaged from the field. That's actually kind of true. And so after, at the end of the episode, Summer's family is totally on board with her not marrying this Chaz guy and just remaining a ranger. They've had the full conversion. They're like... Yeah, whatever, screw you, other family, we're going to be poor and get jobs. Even though it's the apocalypse, and I'm not sure if wealth means anything. Yes, everyone has universal basic income, like there is, uh, there's just healthcare for all, really, it's just like contributing to the city and the defense. We live under martial law, and we're now on a first-name basis with the guy running the city. We can just tell him to take your shit, and you won't be able to do anything. Sam, let that be the rest lesson for all of us. The rich only exist because we allow them to, and we should... We should revoke that uh, privilege very soon. Hey, living in America. <laughs> living in quarantine. Revolution time. Uh, re- remember like the second episode of this podcast when it was like, you know, the only way this podcast will get famous is if one of us kills a major politician. <laughs> uh. Uh, anything else, Sam? I mean, I, I don't know. Our, our, our internet connection this week has been kind of bad, so it's been hard to keep the banter going. Also, my back hurts. Like, do, do you want to do a game or maybe? Nope. Let's let's just call it for this time. Like, it's it's getting a little late. So next week, uh, a zero one, maybe a zero one special, and then the Blue Ranger uh, backstory and Doctor K backstory. I mean, we say we say zero one. Like, there's every possibility that at any point, like the zero one pipeline is going to run dry for a little bit. We'll do something. We'll do something. We will watch things. We will talk about it. And you will enjoy it. Look, I've I've gotten confirmed on Twitter or whatever that most of the listeners of the podcast don't actually watch the show, so we can talk about whatever. <laughs> Until that time, Harry. Like, what are what are we gonna keep doing, Harry? Just to stay sane to this quarantine. Uh, no matter what, we're gonna keep dancing. Keep dancing, everyone. Just keep dancing. <laughs> <laughs>